If you would, turn to Acts chapter 10. We've got blue Bibles in the center of the table, and we've got lots of them. So if we need extra Bibles anywhere, um, we can certainly get those to you very quickly. Wave at me if you don't have enough Bibles at the table. Page, I, th- I think it's page 1018, isn't it? Today we are in Acts chapter 10. We're going to wrap up the chapter. Our passage is Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 18. Next week, our passage will be chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. So write that down in your worship guide and dig into it. In the week ahead, and come with some familiarity with the passage next week when you arrive, if you would. So we're ending a chapter. And this is the third of really four teachings covering a very, very important story. Who's, who are the main characters of this story? Someone raise your hand and tell me. Dean. Peter. Peter? That's one. Can someone tell me another main character of these, this story? Evangeline. God. Yes, he is moving mightily. What's another man's name in this story? Isaiah. Jesus. Jesus. Actually, um, the, the last main character I'm looking for is Cornelius. But Jesus is a huge part of this. And we did go over Jesus' role in this story last week. So you all, we've got Peter and we've got Cornelius. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He was with Jesus for three years. Jesus gave him a very important role in the beginning of the church. And what we're reading today happens maybe five to ten years after Jesus died and rose again. And the church has been spreading and growing and many people are becoming Christians. But up until this point, they've been mostly Jewish with a few Samaritans. The Samaritans were kind of like half Jewish people and half something else. Well, here we get the Gentiles. And Gentiles were not Jewish people. And Gentiles, at least as far as the Jews were concerned, they were very, very far from God. And God didn't really have a plan or a purpose for them. But what's happening in this story in Acts chapter 10, what we've spent the last two weeks covering and what we're covering today is that God does have a plan for those Gentiles. God does have a plan for those people who, are, who have always been very, very far from Him. And what we're going to see is that Jesus isn't just the Savior of a particular type of people, of a particular nation or a particular race, but He is a Savior for all nations. He is a Savior for all peoples. And so quite a bit had to happen. Well, Cornelius, he's the Gentile. He's a military official. He's got a lot of people under his authority. He's got a big family. And he's a wealthy man. And the Spirit of God has prepared him to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Peter, you know, him talking to Gentiles about Jesus wasn't on his calendar for this week. But through a series of dreams and visions, God told Peter that you need to go to Cornelius' house. So we covered that two weeks ago. And then last week, we saw Peter tell him about Jesus Christ. And we looked at what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. We went into great detail in that. What does it actually mean to believe in Jesus Christ? And we did that by looking at Peter's short little sermon last week. Well, 
In our passage today, God interrupts Peter in the middle of his sermon. In our passage today, God interrupts Peter in the middle of his sermon. Let's look at verse 44, and I'll read through verse 48, and we'll see what happens. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jewish people, who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Y'all, this is the word of God. It doesn't just belong to me. It belongs to all of us. What I want you to do is spend four or five minutes. Read this passage to yourself as many times as you can. Get familiar with it. Chew on it. Make some observations about it. And in a few minutes, your discussion leader will begin the discussion. All right. So if you would, um, if you didn't bring your Bible in with you, would you please grab one? Some of the chairs now have a Bible underneath them. Some of the chairs have a little shelf on them. Some of them don't. So we put about 20 Bibles in here. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. All right, so let's, you know, I told you earlier, Peter was preaching, right? And then he wasn't. Because something happened, you all. God showed up, didn't he? God showed up. And it's always exciting when he does that when you're not expecting it. I assume that most of us have seen him show up in a surprising or significant way at some point in our lives. And it's the type of thing that I welcome because whenever God shows up, it's always a good thing for his people. It's often not a good thing for those who aren't his people. But when God shows up for his people, it is always a good thing. And his people are always eager to see him. And here Peter's preaching and God shows up. And look what verse 44 says about how he showed up. You all, the Holy Spirit fell. Verse 45, it says, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. I want to tell you, That God can do whatever He wants to. He is a good God with a good plan. And He can do whatever He wants to when He pleases. And if He chooses to send His Spirit in a mighty and significant way, then so be it. We're going to go along with His plan. Now the working and the moving of His Spirit is a little bit mysterious, right? He's a Spirit. You can't see Him. You know, when Jesus was alive, if he walked into the room, you saw him, right? But when the Spirit shows up, he's a spirit. He's not an it. It's easy to refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, but we are to refer to the Holy Spirit as he. He shows up. You can't see him, but you can see the effects of him. You can see what he does. Early on in Jesus' ministry, in John chapter 3, Jesus talks about the wind. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit. And the wind and the Holy Spirit are the same word in the Greek language. That the New Testament is, was, was the original language of the New Testament. 
And just like the wind, just like you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind, it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the Spirit comes on people. He saves people. You don't always see it coming. You don't always see the change about to take place. You don't know that He's there. But next thing you know, somebody's been born again. Somebody's been renewed. Somebody's been changed by the Holy Spirit because God sent His Spirit. In Psalm 115 verse 3, the Bible says our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. God doesn't ask you for an eye for advice, does He? He doesn't usually consult us to see what we think of His plans. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. He sends His Spirit wherever He will. And He withholds His Spirit when He pleases. And in our story today, as we're wrapping up the story about Cornelius, we're going to see God, it pleased God to send His Spirit in a very unique and special way. So in verse 44, it says the Holy Spirit fell. What does it mean? That the Holy Spirit fell? Yeah. Yep. He came to. He surrounded them. He went and came in them. So yesterday, we were having family worship at our house. And my youngest was in my wife's arms. You know, my wife and I have been holding babies for a long time. We're pretty darn good at it. But sometimes... Those kids do whatever they want to. And all of a sudden, boom, her head hit the floor hard. Family worship was over. Okay, there's nothing, no more of that going on. It was unexpected. We didn't see it coming. It startled us. And, and when something falls, it goes from up to being down, Right? Have you ever fallen down and injured yourself? There's usually some type of shock or surprise. My daughter Karis, who fell yesterday, I don't think she had planned that on her to-do list of things that she was trying to accomplish yesterday. Usually when something or someone falls, it's a surprise. It's not something you were expecting. And that was certainly the case here, y'all. Peter wasn't done with his sermon yet. You know, we've looked at a number of sermons throughout the book of Acts that Peter's preaching preached. There's some things in common, and we kind of know what to expect, what he would have done next. But he didn't do that because God sent his Holy Spirit from heaven to earth. Notice also that Peter didn't schedule this. Y'all, even just a few days ago, he was in another city 30 miles away. It was about a day and a half to two days walk away. And he was doing ministry there. And some crazy things began to happen. And next thing you know, some people showed up at his door and said, Hey, you need to come to Cornelius' house. God told us to come get you and take you back with us. And Peter's like, Well, God told me that I needed to go. Y'all, when God wants to do something, we have to make room for him in our plans. 
And sometimes you've got to scratch out the whole calendar, everything on the calendar for a few days or more. So in May of 2013, Jennifer and I had a really big, some really big things happen in our life that we didn't see coming, and that's how we got here. In less than two weeks, we were here interviewing for this opportunity to serve as pastor. So God shows up. We don't always understand it, but here's what we know. When the Spirit comes, it's always good, you all. It is always good for His people. And this is what had happened to Peter and the Jews. I told you earlier that there were Jews and Gentiles. The Jews had been God's people for a very long time. But at this point in history, the Gentiles were coming in. And the Spirit rushing in suddenly and being upon them in this passage with the Gentiles is very similar to what happened to Acts chapter 2. It's Peter and the other Jews who were with him recognized this event. Y'all, it wasn't the first time that they had ever seen it. In Acts chapter 11 verse 15, Peter's coming under some criticism for what happened. We'll look into this more next week. But Peter was retelling the story and he says, While I was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as us on us at the beginning. So the Spirit coming on the Gentiles was like the Holy Spirit coming on the Jews in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, if you look back at Acts chapter 2, it says that the Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind. A mighty rushing wind. That word mighty has to do with violent or um, forcefulness. I remember a mighty rushing wind blowing through my yard two and a half years ago. It was a Category 0 tornado. It had winds of around 80 miles an hour. It went right over top of my four oldest kids in the yard. We had some trees down. We had a couple windows busted. We had a, a roof on a shed that had to be completely replaced. You know, it was more damaged than anything I had ever experienced. But the scariest part of that was that my kids were in the middle of it. You know, they, they got bruised up just a tiny bit as things blew across the yard as they were running to the house. But we didn't even have to go to the hospital for it. And we were so grateful for that. But it was a mighty rushing wind. It was something we didn't schedule. It was something that we didn't plan. It was something that we did not choose. But it happened to us. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Unlike a tornado, which is bad, the Holy Spirit coming from God is always good. The same thing that happened to the Jews at the day of Pentecost, you all, is now happening to the Gentiles. You all, all the nations of the earth are about to be blessed through King Jesus. I can't say that enough. All the nations of the earth are about to receive the blessing of King Jesus. He truly shows no favoritism and no partiality. But you all, he is a savior for all nations. Look at verse 45. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was poured out. What does that mean, that he was poured out? Well, kind of like something falling, it came from above, right? Have any of you ever poured something out and it went up instead of down? No, of course not. The Holy Spirit was poured out Because the Holy Spirit has been with the Father in heaven. And now Jesus is up there ruling and reigning at God's right hand. And Jesus sent the Spirit down right when he was supposed to, you all. 
So Jesus poured out the Spirit. God is the one doing it. We didn't make it happen. It was sovereign and planned and beautiful. Look at verse 47. We see a third description of how the Holy Spirit came upon the nations. Peter asks this question, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? We're talking about receiving. Will you receive all that God has for you? Did you know that the way we deal and interact with the true God is not us going and demanding things from Him. It is not us working really, really hard to try to make Him do something for us. We don't manipulate with Him. We don't bargain with Him. The only way that we can get anything from God, you all, because we can't earn anything from Him, our good works don't earn us forgiveness of sins or the Holy Spirit or anything. Y'all, the only way we can get anything from God is if He gives it to us as a gift. Did you all know that? Do you want what God has to offer? Quit working for it and receive it. Become like a child. Well, here Peter says, they received the Holy Spirit. God poured the Holy Spirit out from on high. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and Cornelius and his family received Him. Cornelius and his family received Him. If you want what God has to give you, then you have to receive it. You have to receive it. You all, some of you, you've heard of something called spirit baptism. What's happening in this passage is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people have been taught, and I believe wrongly so, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens after you become a Christian. And I reject that for many, many different reasons. Some churches will tell you if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you're a second class Christian instead of a first class Christian. And I say, no, there's only one class of Christians. And those are children of the Almighty God. Who have been. So spirit baptism is the initial reception of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that takes place at our conversion. As we believe in Christ. We actually can't even believe in Christ. Without receiving the Holy Spirit first. So spirit baptism is when we get the Holy Spirit. But I do want you to know. That after that point of receiving. The initial receiving of the Holy Spirit. It is our responsibility to live in the Spirit. Or to walk in the Spirit. That's in Galatians chapter 5. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to let the Spirit... We we need to not push the Spirit out of our lives if we're a Christian. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit doing things in us. How How do great Christians do the things that great Christians do? Well, they stop trying to work on their own and they let the Spirit of God work through them. So us as Christians, even though we've received the Holy Spirit already, you all, we have to yield ourselves to the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to let Him come into us and do the things through us that God wants us to do. How did the people respond? There were some people who came with Peter from the town of Joppa. Peter didn't make this trip up to Caesarea to Cornelius' house all by himself. They were Jews. And... 
They did not have the same experience that Peter had on the roof that we learned about two weeks ago. Do y'all remember Peter saw all the unclean animals coming down on the sheet and God pretty much commanded Peter to turn into a butcher and say, kill him and cook him up. These other Jewish people, they didn't have those visions. That vision prepared Peter and taught him that now you know, God doesn't make a distinction between common or unclean people and those who are clean. But that Jesus has come for people from all nations. So Peter had that preparation. But the other Jews that went with him, they did not. They were not ready for this. And the Bible says in verse 45 that they were amazed. They were amazed. And verse 46 tells you why. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's what happened to them in Acts chapter 2, like I was talking about earlier. They're like, whoa, the same thing that God did for us, He's doing for them. They couldn't deny it. It was spectacular. It was miraculous. They knew it was the same thing. They knew it was the hand and the plan of God that was all over what was happening. And just like they were speaking in tongues at the day of Pentecost, here are the Gentiles. They're speaking in tongues too. So, what in the world is tongues? We'll talk about that in a minute. But you all, Jesus said some things. After Jesus rose from the dead and before he went back up to heaven, he was on the earth for about seven weeks before, between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And during those seven weeks, he, he taught on a number of things. But one of the things he said was that there will be these signs that accompany those who believe. And one of the signs was that people will speak in new tongues. So what is tongues? Y'all, it just has to do with speaking another language. The word tongue in the Bible, in the original language, is translated in some places as tongues and in other places as languages. Some of you speak two tongues. Some of you are bilingual. So you can speak English and you can speak this language or that language. Okay? And some people just have the natural ability to do that. Or maybe they have a parent who is from Latin America and a parent who is from the U.S. So they grow up speaking Spanish and English, and that's a natural ability. But here, when the Bible talks about speaking in tongues, it's really talking about a spiritual gift that God gives. He gives a new language to people who could not previously speak that language. Kind of strange, isn't it? What do we do with that? And if you've ever been in a church where people were speaking in languages you didn't hear and it freaked you out or harmed you, don't get nervous, don't get scared. Okay? I, I just What I want to do in the next 10 minutes is just offer some basic teaching on tongues and why it is important and how it should be done among God's people. The majority of what I'm about to share with you comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. If you want to dig into it more, go into those chapters and look for it, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. But I want to just kind of highlight the most important parts of the Bible that speak about speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 2 verse 4, I told y'all that the same thing that's happening to the Gentiles happened to the Jews, right? Well, it, it, tongues was a part of that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, 
they began to speak in other tongues. They spoke in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, it says. And the people who were there in the audience listening to the apostles, it says in chapter 2, verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. See, on the day of Pentecost, there were Jews from a lot of different nations. And they did share the Hebrew language together. It was a common language, but they also had a language back home that they spoke that the rest of the people in Jerusalem at that time did not speak. But all of a sudden, the apostles were speaking in a number of different languages. That the people who were there observing everything and listening to everything, those folks were not expecting that. And it was a surprise. But it served as a sign, as Jesus said. These signs will accompany those who believe. You all, some of you here for the first time today, down there at the end of the road, there's a sign. It says Hope Fellowship, right? And it's got an arrow. That's a sign. Is Hope Fellowship, is, is that sign where we gather or does that sign point to something? Points, right? So a sign always points to something or someone. And just like that wooden sign and vinyl sign down there points you to this building, so these languages that God gives are to point people to God. Someone at my table shared that there was a time where she prayed for someone who, was, who spoke a language. They didn't speak the same language. that they, they couldn't communicate to each other. But she saw the need to pray. And so she prayed for that person. And that person heard. Her, it was my wife. That person heard Jennifer pray for them in their own language. Even though my wife did not know that language. And there's other of you that have had similar experiences like this, I, I've heard them, you've told me them, but that was just something that was shared just a little bit ago. So you all, we have tongues in Acts chapter 10. If we look ahead to Acts chapter 19, there's more tongues. There was a group of people in Ephesus, and they had heard about John the Baptist and his message, and they had been baptized by John, but they had not heard the gospel of King Jesus. Well, Paul preached the gospel to them, and the Bible says that they believed the message And when they did, they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. What is prophecy? We'll cover that in four weeks at the end of chapter 11. But there, in Acts 19, we have tongues again. And it's very important. If we're going to understand tongues, we have to understand the rest of verse 46. They were doing two things when the Spirit came. They were speaking in tongues and extolling God. Extolling God has to do with magnifying Him, honoring Him, and worshiping Him. If you're here today and you think tongues is just something for you to feel good about yourself or only something for you to get closer to God, then I want you to um, take another look. Because the purpose of tongues is so much bigger than just you feeling close to Jesus. Now, is that a part of it for those of you who do speak in tongues? Absolutely, and it is a legitimate part of it. Okay, and it talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14. But tongues has to do, its greatest purpose is to magnify God and to communicate by communicating with His people. It has to do with worship. It has to do with God revealing Himself. 
When you see the word extol in the scripture, it has to do with enlarging the territory or making something bigger. It has to do with esteeming him highly or God highly. You all, what I'm trying to say is that the Holy Spirit led them to worship. The Holy Spirit led them to worship. And isn't that what the Spirit does? Isn't that his purpose? You as a Christian, haven't you had the experience where you're going in a certain direction in your life? Maybe it's a short-term thing and you're just going to do something today that you shouldn't do. Or maybe it's a bigger long-term thing and you're in a season of rebellion against God and you know better. But you're going to do your own thing, short-term or long-term scenario. It doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, the Spirit just starts talking to you. He starts guiding you. He starts directing you. What's he doing? He's calling you out of sin and into the presence of God to worship him through the way you live your life 24-7. God gave you the Holy Spirit to keep you close to Jesus. God gave you the Holy Spirit to remind you of all the things that Jesus has taught. And God doesn't give you the Holy Spirit like he did sometimes in the Old Testament where certain people would have the Holy Spirit for a while and then he would take the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would withdraw. No, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in. He settles in. He hunkers down with you. He stays. And the God who sent him said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Y'all, that's good news, isn't it? These Gentile believers, now with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not going to ever leave them. And he's not ever going to leave you. I want to say this about speaking in tongues. So, so the biggest thing about it is it, is it has to do with worshiping God. I want to tell you this also. It is not a gift that God gives to all people. If you've never spoken tongues, you know what? You're just as loved by God as people who do. If you've never spoken other languages, if that's not a gift you have, then Jesus enjoys his relationship with you just as much as he does with people who don't speak in tongues. I promise you that. I promise you that. If you're in here and you speak in tongues and you think that you're better than other people who don't, You need to repent because that's just not the case. It's just not the case at all. The Bible says that God gives each of his children the specific gifts that he wants to give them. And he does that for his own purposes. And he doesn't play favorites. We've talked about that a lot in the last month on a number of different levels. He doesn't play favorites. But he distributes gifts according to his will. It says that in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. If you have the gift of tongues, I want you to exercise that gift. I want you to use it to build up yourself and to grow closer to God as his child and as an individual. But I also want you to use it to build up his church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 19, I'm sorry, 12, 13 and 14. It says that if one of these unknown languages is spoken in the church, then someone in the church who has the gift of interpretation, can speak what it is that God was saying so that everyone here can understand. Now, I want to tell you, there are some incredibly wonderful and amazing Christians who think that tongues are not for today. There are some godly people, including some of the people I've invited to the parenting conference. Don't bring this up with them. But some of the people I've invited to the parenting conference, I mean, these are mentors of mine. A couple of them I know extremely well. They, don't think, they, they think that tongues is not a gift for today. 
They think that it was something that God only gave temporarily. But when the first generation of Christians died off, it stopped. And I reject that. I don't see that in the scripture. People say that because they, write, they, they, they rightly make this conclusion. That the scripture, that the Bible is authoritative and sufficient. But they get that part right. But they wrongly conclude from that. That what God says through speaking in tongues is on the same level and authority as Scripture. And it's just not. These new languages that these people spoke in Acts chapter 10 does not carry the same authority as the written word that we're reading from today that tells us this story. So people who believe speaking in tongues should be over or say it should never happen or maybe they might say you don't have that gift because it's not real... They, 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 they've got some straw man arguments that they, they think some things about what we teach and what, what I would say about it that just aren't true. So another reason that they think that is they wrongly interpret 1 Corinthians 13. The Bible does say, you all, that tongues will cease. Tongues will come to an end. And the Bible does say that that's going to happen when the perfect comes. So tongues are going to cease when the perfect comes. This is in 1 Corinthians 13, verses like 8 through 13. So tongues are going to cease. These special new languages are going to end when the perfect comes. And those who think that tongues are not for today, they say that the perfect is our Bible. And when that was finished being written 1900 years ago or so, that God withdrew the spirit of tongues and it never came back. And I say that is an incorrect interpretation of 1 Corinthians 13. Tongues will cease when the perfect comes. What's the perfect? Who's the perfect? The perfect is when we see Jesus riding on the clouds and showing up. When Jesus comes back to fully bring his kingdom to the earth, y'all, that's when the perfect is here. And that's when tongues will cease. So moving on, we're almost done. Verse 47, Peter asks this question. Can anyone stop these people from being baptized? He's looking at his other Jewish friends. He says, they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. I've told you that the events of Pentecost are happening again. So let's just do it all. Let's do everything that happened on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 Jews became Christians. And let's baptize them. Why would we just stop with the Spirit coming? Why would we only stop with them speaking in tongues and worshiping Him? No, let's baptize them. Let's let them go all the way down in the water, which is a picture of the death or the burial of Jesus Christ. He went all the way into that tomb and He was completely covered by the ground in the stone. And then let us rise up in new life, Just like he did on Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning, when he came out of that tomb all on his own. Let us, let God's people be baptized because it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Let us follow Jesus in obedience and be baptized as he was baptized. And I want you to know that Cornelius and his household is already saved. There's a Bible college in Elizabeth City. I studied there for one year when I was 18 years old. 
and they wanted to teach very clearly that you don't get saved until you're baptized. And we reject that. We say, no, we don't get baptized to be saved. We get baptized because we are saved. Y'all, he's not getting baptized to be saved. He's getting baptized because he is saved. And Cornelius and his household, they already had the inward part done, didn't they? The inward work of God coming into them was done. Well, now it's time to do the outward part. And it's time for them to be baptized. We referenced Article 4 of our church constitution earlier today. And in that part on church membership, there's ten commands. And these ten commands are a summary of the commands throughout all of Scripture. And the second command in there is that we be baptized. We ask church members to get baptized. We believe that's one of the most important things you can do as a young Christian. And the first command is to repent and to believe the gospel of King Jesus, to have your sins washed away. But shortly after that, what's next? You need to be baptized. It's one of the earliest things that we should do after we believe. So we get to verse 48. He commands them to be baptized. And then they say, hey, can you stick around for a little bit? And the Bible never says that he said yes to that question, that he stuck around. But it would be mighty weird if he said no and then Luke told us that they asked him to stay. So I'm assuming, I'm speculating that he hung out with them for a few days. So next week, we're going to see what happens after he leaves there and goes back to Jerusalem. But I want to point out two practical lessons for us from this story. There's two practical lessons from this that I want us to consider as we minister together as a church and as we carry the light of Christ into a dark world. As the kingdom of God collides with the kingdom of darkness. And don't you know, collisions are rough, aren't they? Okay? As the kingdom of Christ collides with the kingdom of darkness, there's a couple things I want you to keep in mind. This story, what happened today, this is not normative. This is probably not going to happen every time you tell someone about Jesus. And that doesn't surprise you, does it? If this never happens, okay, if we don't ever see something this dramatic, I want to tell you that that's okay. I've shared with you three times in the book of Acts so far where the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and people speak in tongues. But how many stories have we seen already where that didn't happen? Many. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Think about the Samaritans that Philip preached to. You all, salvation and faith and people getting saved, it can be a very not dramatic, not wild, not crazy thing. Sometimes people get saved, and it's a long time before you begin to see the signs of it. Sometimes little kids get saved. I mean, like two or three years old. I've seen kids get saved at the age of two and three. And it's almost like nothing happened. But then you just start to see, like, oh, like they want to obey God. Oh, they want to do the things that God wants them to do. And it's a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. It is a beautiful thing. There are many occasions where the gospel is preached and people are saved and it is very quiet 
And it may take a long time to see the fruit of it. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to ever get down on yourself or your church because our ministry is not as dramatic or as exciting as the ministry of the apostles or as some other church down the road. You all, if you compare yourself to others, you're going to drown. Don't do it. Don't do it. And as a church, we must not do that. Second thing I want to share with you that is a lesson for us for ministry as a church. It's true for us together. It's true for us individually. If you want the Spirit to come, you've got to preach Jesus. You've got to talk about Jesus. If you see this passage today and you're like, man, I really want to speak in tongues. I'm really, really going to focus on speaking in tongues and that's all you do. You know what? You're never going to speak in tongues. The way tongues come and the way these dramatic things happen and the way the gifts come, the way God shows up, the way the Holy Spirit falls, it always has to do with Jesus. You all, God's part was to send the Spirit. Peter's part was to preach Jesus. Do you want to see the Spirit of God turn a community upside down? Do you want to see the Spirit of God turn your family upside down, your spouse upside down, your kids upside down, your grandkids upside down? Y'all get crazy about Jesus. Make Him the center of everything. How does the Spirit come? The Spirit comes when Jesus is put on display. When Jesus was alive, He was at one of the big Jewish feasts and He said this, If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsty for Jesus? He is near. He is available. Would you come to him and would you drink? Jesus goes on to say, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What are these rivers that flow from the hearts of those people who believe in Jesus? He goes on to say that this is about the spirit whom those who believe in me will receive. How do streams of living water flow and bring life to all those around you? You believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to you, and the living water flows. The living water flows. You've got loved ones that you want to see come to God. You've got neighbors. You've got co-workers. Do you just see a community that is screwed up? Do you see a nation that is screwed up? How do we fix that? You all, we put our faith in Christ. He sends His Spirit, and His Spirit flows through us. Living water into dry deserts, living water into dead places. Y'all want to do this, church? Y'all want to do it together? Let's look to Jesus for everything. Let's pray.